Okay. So I, you are such an incredible scholar and have dedicated your life. I'd love to hear what, how you frame it to what would you say? What have you dedicated your life to? Well, the broad answer is the mystery of, of spirit and uh, human <laughs> incarnation. The specifics are afterlife and the journey of the soul and accompanying people through the valley of the shadow of death towards acceptance of death and healing, among other things. Nice light light fluffy topics right. my favorite topic so where are you give us a little bit of like context for what you've been studying and teaching and why and just for people who haven't read your books yet but who will after this um get a little taste of your journey okay um i had uh <clears throat> I had a background in, Jew in jewish studies and and world religions in university University. And I felt like most of my professors hadn't dealt with their crisis of faith. So while I always loved academic study of world religions, I felt I wanted something more functional than just academic study of religion. And I ended up at a place called, that wasn't called that then, but became the California Institute of Integral Studies, which was a spiritually oriented training program for therapists. So I went from a master's degree in religious studies to being able to go into a doctoral program in, uh, in, in psychology with only a background in religious studies because you could do that in California in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. And it's a longer story, but I ended up doing my research on life after death in Judaism with applications for working with the dying and bereaved. I had had a number of experiences of people I love dying and feeling a sense of their presence after their death. And I couldn't find in Jewish tradition, anything about life after death. So in essence, I wrote the book I would have wanted to read when my closest friend was killed in a car accident. So that's sort of a little bit of, about my, my, my training. Um, I reworked my, my doctorate dissertation was called Judaism's contribution to the psychology of death in the afterlife, which sounded very prim and proper academic, but it was on life after death and survival of consciousness after death with applications for working with the dying and bereaved. And again, only in California, at that point it was in the mid eighties. Could I get away with that kind of dissertation? And one of my dissertation advisors had been one of the three people doing the original psychedelic research. There was Timothy Leary and Baba Ramdas, but the third guy was Ralph Metzner and Ralph Metzner and Reb Zalman and another person were my dissertation advisors. So only retroactively have I realized that I had some very special teachers to guide me in this project. Yes. After I graduated, my first job was as resident psychologist in a Jewish funeral home. So I had read a lot of books. I was a smart guy. And all of a sudden I was dealing with people who were dealing with suicide and SIDS and violent death. And along the way, I learned to integrate the philosophy and spirituality of life after death with practice of, of companioning people through dealing with death and grief and loss. And so I've done that in various different ways over the years. Um, 
largely but not exclusively in a Jewish context. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've written on afterlife in Judaism, but I'm familiar with the Tibetan Book of the Dead and Eastern religions and death and reincarnation teachings. And um, I still have that world religions background. Okay, so when, before this whole study and teaching and sharing and working with people, where were you, where were you philosophically? Like as a, as a young person, as a teen, as a young adult, where were you about afterlife? Where, what were you thinking about God and spirit? Was that always part of your, were you able to just swallow all of that as truth? Like, I'm curious about where you sort of began and then where you are now with, all of these things that we can't actually, that are not tangible, but are present. Well, when I was four and my grandmother died, they told me she went to heaven and I was this dreamy little kid. So I spent the next, I don't know, five to eight years talking to her every night in heaven. So I was definitely aware as a child that I felt a sense of connection with with the spirit of someone who had died. And in fact, I mean, so that was even before my closest friend was killed in a car accident. That was a very early kind of experience. And in fact, uh, in retrospect, I realized that everything I learned later reading books, in some ways I had been taught by my grandmother as a very young child. And I, and I think I was permeable to the interconnection between invisible worlds. Mm -hmm. I think that was mm -hmm. something I didn't cognitively know at the time. But when I look back upon that, that period of my life, that's how I, um, I, I understand that. So, so religion, spiritual, you know, spirituality was another learning later. Later on, I, I was of the vintage where Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and Mia Farrow were meditating with the Beatles. <laughs> and so in the early 70s, when that stuff came into vogue, I was already in a religion department and I was studying Hinduism and Buddhism and, and, and comparative religious philosophies and um, religious history of Western civilization. I mean, those were some of the even undergraduate courses I had taken. And in graduate school I had a fellowship studying it was quote a psychosocial study of new religious and para-religious movements in the greater Montreal area I was paid to go do participant observation research on med meditation and yoga and interview people and that. so so that was like that was in my early 20s I, 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 I was part of that um, movement uh, I had a free trip to India in, in, in between my first and second year of graduate school. There was an organization called the Shastri Indo-Canadian Institute. It funded Indian studies in Canada and Canadians doing, doing research in India. And uh, one summer I was one of 50 students in an all India cultural program at a, at a Canadian university. The next year they took 18 of us and we had a clockwise tour for six weeks all around India, I got to meet Mrs. Gandhi and the president of India, and then we spent the seventh week on a houseboat in Kashmir, and then I and I went to visit the the 
the Tibetan, the Tibetan Buddhist refugee village in, in McLeod Ganj. So that was, that, that was transformational in that I realized that I needed to go back and reclaim my Jewish learning. And so that, you know, like, like there's different pieces of the weave yeah. so that your, your question was, you know, how did, how did that fit in with, you know, studying after I've had that fit in my early beliefs. It was, there wasn't such a stretch because I guess I was permeable as a young child. I was studying religions as a young adult and I had those experiences with connection with people that died it, both as a child and then in my, early 20s and so I, I I deepened that through my academic learning and then through my teaching but I guess what those... about embodied practice what about your 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 connection or your the way that you're working with other realms is there anything that's part of your kind of daily or has been over your long career long amazing career well, my embodied practice is I try to go to the gym every day and I never did that before <laughs> in my life. As I get close to 70, I figure it's about time to do that. <laughs> my, my sense is that between this world and the world beyond is a window and not a wall. Between this world and the world beyond is a window and not a wall. And in moments of meditative practice and dreams and synchronicities, that window opens. So I feel like I'm perpetually in touch hmm. with the edge of that realm. I, I, I don't claim to be psychic. Okay. But last Saturday, I had a conversation in my mind, just sort of popped up with an uncle of mine with whom I had some incomplete stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I found out like two days later that he died. Mm-hmm. So, like, it wasn't like, oh, let me tune in to see how Uncle Leo is doing. It was more like Uncle Leo popped into my mind. And yeah, that makes sense. And I could feel some sense of connection and continuing conversation with him. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure exactly how you, what you mean how by do you body explain practice. That? What do you what? think that, how do you explain that? How do you Between understand? this world and the world beyond is a window and not a wall. I don't feel I have to rationalize it because I never, I, I, I never bought into the materialistic model. Mm-hmm. When we did the doctoral work together, we meaning my, the, you know, my, 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 uh, my colleagues, my co-students, we were aware that we were being educated on the other side of the rationalist paradigm. There was a book that was very much in vogue for a while called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And it talked about, it, that was the first book to talk about paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. So I remember reading in, in, in my early 20s about a paradigm shift. And I was aware that in my own thinking, I was moving beyond the scientific Western materialistic paradigm that says, consciousness is an epiphenomenon of the brain and when the brain stops firing when the neurons stop firing dead is dead that wasn't the paradigm that i have lived in for the last 40 years of my life so i understand the intellectual limitations of that paradigm but intellectually personally experientially i have not 
lived in that paradigm. So I, 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 I remember somebody came to me a number of years ago and said, I would like you to teach a course on religion and psychology. And I said, I do not want to teach the course on the rational side of the paradigm. I don't want to teach the 19th century sociologists of religion who were skeptical about religious experience. I want to teach on the other side of the paradigm. So I'm willing to talk about Freud insofar as he was seminal in that, but I also want to talk about Jung and Maslow and Roberto Assagioli, who was a, who was a later contemporary of Freud, who talked about psychosynthesis and the integration of spirit and psyche. I want to talk about transpersonal psychology, Ken Wilber, Gene Houston. So that so very and that was that was over thirty years ago that I, that I, that I I just said I'm not I I, I won't I, I'll give deference to that paradigm, but I don't want to, I want to teach on the other side of it. So I don't, I don't feel like I have to be, I'm not apologetic. Yeah. Now, when I go in and teach about Jewish views, of the afterlife, I go into a middle of the road, conservative congregation, you know, Beth suburbia, where there's always a big <laughs> fat guy sitting in the front row with a big fat ring, giving me this dirty look. Like, I don't believe in any of that afterlife shit. Now let's talk about it. And to him, I say, and I say this when I teach, I am not selling belief. Because if I say believe and you say I don't right. believe, right. we're in an adversarial relationship. I say, tongue in cheek, I will sell you my book, mind you, but I'm not selling belief. Right. So that already lightens the scene. And then I say, but at least I want you to see what our Jewish tradition has to say about life after death. And in that sense, I sort of stand behind the role of scholar and say, okay, here's what the tradition says. This is the way I try to understand it. But ultimately, everybody has to do their own meaning making around dying and death. But at least I want people to have a kind of cognitive spiritual worldview mm -hmm. that allows them to see that there's more than simply the belief that dead is dead and what lives on are the good deeds or yeah. we don't believe in afterlife and stuff like that, which is, which is what I, I encounter a lot of the time. And in terms of like how you would, how you talk about or teach soul or spirit. Funny you should there, ask that question. Is there a difference? Personally, not okay. from your, and, or if there's one of your books that you do, you love how you were able to think through it or process it, then name that. Absolutely. Since we didn't like prep before or anything like that. And I just wanted this to be really, I really want people who feel interested in, in these questions and topics to dive into your work. You've got lots of YouTube stuff um, and obviously prolific books and writing, but I'm just curious about your personal, how you see it. Okay. And if that's Let me say something. I want to say something about God. Yeah. My theology is we are interwoven into the fabric of the universe. Okay. God is not a big guy in the sky with a white beard who stands upon the mountain and with a booming voice. Thank God. But <laughs> thank God. Right. So uh, I studied with Starhawk for a, 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 a long <laughs> way. Also, she taught me everything a rabbi in training needs to know about the goddess. Yeah. So I'm more of a pantheist in the sense that. It is all spirit and we are interwoven. So synchronicities 
and 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 meaningful coincidences and connections with people and and you know looking at the trees and feeling i'm looking out my window now and you know seeing the trees blowing in the wind and knowing that every single leaf on that tree has the exact destined moment that it'll be falling down off that tree and in, in come september or, or october or as late as november some of them live that long right so all of that is my sense of god spirit universe and i am a, i am but a fat we are all interwoven to the fabric of life that being said, we are also individuals. My teacher, Reb Zalman, used to talk about the universe. It's all one and there's diversity. So he was a, what does soul mean? So in the Kabbalistic model, we are an amalgam of interwoven layers of psyche, spirit, material so let me let me give you a, a visual on that host has disabled screen sharing so yeah. now you're gonna you need you need to enable it for me there you go okay so now i can do that so soul is not a simple little angelic bubble floating off like on a hallmark card we are body, emotion, mind, spirit, cosmos, mm -hmm. right? So people can check this out, right? I'm, I'm sitting in my physical body or, you know, the, the pranic body, if you know yoga is, is, is the energy, energetic field that surrounds and interpenetrates the physical body, right? The, the emotional energy field surrounds and interpenetrates the, 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 the physical body, mind not just cognitive mind but the higher mind that perceives holds it says oh wow you know you look at a picture of 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 the cosmos from the hubble telescope and you say oh wow you know that's like the, that's still mind function but it's it's the mind that perceives whole and then there's a place where we plug into the universe people call that god and ultimately we are part of the whole cosmos so in Kabbalah, there are very specific terms for this. Nefesh, ruach, chaya, yechida. Nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaya, yechida. But this is, this is sort of the model that here I am in my individuality. You know, this is my simchaness. I am the child of these parents at this period of time. And, 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 and this, this is my DNA structure. This is my most style this is the place where spirit has been infused itself into my life and ultimately we're all interconnected and interwoven in that way so that's that's the model i used for what it means to be actually there was another there was another piece in here that i'm going to go back to that what we are human beings are we are a biopsychocosmic continuum Bio How's that? You want to put that in your pipe and smoke it? Biopsychocosmic continuum. That's the biopsychocosmic yeah. continuum. So that's that's what it means to be a, a living human being. Is that we're we're biology and we're psyche, but we're also cosmos. And in death, each of those separate parts go through its own kind of journey of transformation. 
I have so many more questions <laughs> that I want to like, I'm also just remembering that I really do want to have you come to DC and do some longer <laughs> workshops so we can have like so a really deep time not to kind of bypass. I mean, I think just there's so many things that come up for me around, like, do you personally believe in reincarnation? Do you personally believe in old souls versus younger souls and like processing through wisdom? When they asked my teacher, Reb Zalman, how long he believed in reincarnation, he said, oh, about five or six lifetimes. You know, when they asked Carl Jung, there was, a, there was a wonderful interview with Jung and the interviewer, it's, it's 1959 and um, it's in black and white. And I, I, I don't remember the name of the interviewer right now. It'll, it'll come to me, he says, um, were you a religious family? Oh, yes, we, we sort of went to church. Oh, you know, I can't emulate his accent so well. Did you believe in God? Oh, of course. Do you still believe in God? And he sort of steps back. He says, I don't believe I know. Yeah. So <laughs> do I believe in reincarnation? I know that this being has been through other stories. Yeah. Because I've had those kind of experiences um, in, 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 in lots of different ways. In fact, I, I, for a while, at one point I trained with, with, uh, with Dr. Brian Weiss in doing past life therapy. Yeah. Um, and so as part of some of those trainings yeah. evoked some memories and there were other moments yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, so I definitely feel um, a soul in evolution through time and history. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll show you something else. I just... I, I, I just created this for something I'm doing next week. You'll give me a second because I need to, oh, here it is. I can I tell have, a, yeah. What? Nothing. I have another question. I can tell the story. Okay. You, you see this starry sky? No. Can you share? It's not shared. Do I have to? No, I have to, I have to do a screen share. Oh, okay. Are we up here now? Yes. So there I was, I was 20 years old and I was camping out along the Dead Sea mm. and I had never seen so many stars in my life. Plus it was a different sky because I was in a different part of the planet. And I was talking to someone and we were trying to figure out why there was no moon in the sky. And I wasn't so in touch with the Hebrew calendar. And if, because if I was, I would have known exactly where the moon was. But we prided ourselves in the fact that it was the new moon and there was no moon in the sky. And all of a sudden around midnight, this moon began to arise in the sky. And all of a sudden there was this incredible radiant full moon. And I had this sense in that moment that I was like Abraham standing under the stars on the same earth. And Abraham was called. God came to Abraham and said, look at the heavens and count all the stars. So shall your offspring be. 
And in that moment, I felt interwoven in time and history. Not only was I this Jewish kid from Montreal who was camping out at Ain Getty, but I was like Abraham throughout the ages. Being called. Abraham was called, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And we're all called in our own individual ways. So that was a very early experience. Yeah. And I had fun creating that graphically this week. That's that, right. That. But it was it was a moment like that that I saw a certain yeah. sense of being part and parcel, not only of Jewish time and history, but as a solo human being on the planet. Yeah. It I went from my personal story to my cultural story to our planetary story and i think that's what we're all doing i think that's have you ever doing. felt any fear of your path or has it felt really clear has it just felt like a calling to open up death in the afterlife within the jewish context and have these conversations and kind of pull forward reb zalman your teachers their work well, I, I put a lot of therapist kids through college doing therapy over the years okay. to clear out all of the obstacles on the path. Uh, yeah. you know, well, and, yeah. and, and as I get older, it feels like there's less of those in the way. Not that there's none. Yeah. So I think the path has, has always been there. Yeah, but there were years of struggling with the personality distortions that made it very difficult to get to the path. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, and 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 I I feel very blessed that I'm turning seventy in a couple of weeks. That those neuroses and addiction and lower unconscious challenges are not present in the same way. And that's why a lot of therapist kids got yeah. to go to college because I, I invested in them <laughs> as I invested in my myself. Yeah. So I think all rabbis and teachers and spiritual guides and therapists need to have their own guides and spiritual directors to help them claim their path my spiritual director for many years was a nun and she helped me a lot um i have to ask about trauma because it's so present right now in the relationship just kind of how you see um you know the let go and let god and the actual trauma in the body and just anything on the relationship there there's a lot of spiritual bypass in a lot of yeah, 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 yeah. communities and trauma in the body as we know is you know or maybe we know it's real or not real i don't even know no, what no, 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 it's very real it's very real so very how real. do we kind of work with that Well, more and more, there are people who can work with that. Yeah. More and more, there are people who work with trauma, body awareness, healing of sexual abuse trauma. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, 
that's yeah. that's very much I, part of my work besides doing grief work i've also worked with sexual abuse survivors and um in in the mid 1980s which is a while ago i was in a therapy group for men who had been sexually abused and that was you know that was that was really Mm-hmm. cutting edge when, when I go back you know 1987 88 or something like that I you know I had reason to to do that and did a lot of hard work and a lot, lot of trauma work and at a certain point in my own work I realized I went from being a victim of sexual abuse to a survivor mm-hmm. and 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 the the residue of that has dissipated um, I don't have to serve at that altar anymore. Mm. You, you know, my, my model for therapy and healing of abuse, you know, that movie, A Brilliant Mind, do you ever see that with Russell Crowe? Mm-hmm. He's, for people who hadn't seen it, he's this little bit psychotic, brilliant mathematician, and he keeps having all of these images of these little beings, these little children that sort of show up in his psychotic uh, imagery. And then eventually he wins a Nobel Prize. And as he's on the way to to walk up and receive the Nobel Prize, he sees these a couple of these little psychotic images. And he says to them, not now, now's not a good time. And I think that that's what, that's successful therapy. Where, where the etchings of woundedness, of trauma, they don't ever go away. Mm-hmm. But we, we can say, you know what? I don't have to act that, that one out anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to be the, the four-year-old child who feels lost or the 12-year-old boy who had blah, blah, blah happen. I am living in a different address. Sometimes I, I, I say to my clients, where did you live as a child? And, and, and these days I could go to um, Google Maps, mm-hmm. Google, what, uh, Google World, Google, Earth, and yeah. Google Earth, and bring up an, a, 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 an image of the apartment building a 75-year-old woman lived in when she was 15 in, living in Brooklyn or, you know, because some of those buildings yeah. are there. And, and I said, what's your current address? Are you living at, are you living at 38 West, right? Or are you living yeah. at... at 1211 you know maple street and i i I find that very very helpful metaphor working with people because (laughs) sometimes we're still living at the address where our trauma where our abuse where our early childhood experiences taking place even though in our lives we have moved on way way beyond that and that's the difference between being the victim as opposed to the survivor the victim is still living there the survivor has moved on and it doesn't sound either like you're in the camp of, of, you know, sort of the modern Eckhart Tolle, like if it's just release and just being consciousness and, you know, not- well, look, Eckhart Tolle uh, says, don't stay in the pain body. I mean, yeah. in a way, yeah. I, I, you know, release is good, release is essential, yes. but we also have to recontextualize it. I believe and, and I say this to my clients a lot, I believe in small victories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If today I don't do X, Y, and Z, which, which is my old habit pattern, mm-hmm. 
that's a small victory. Tomorrow I might, but today I have a small victory. And, and maybe the next day I will do, I'll do something positive. So I, I, I encourage people to, there's the thou shalt nots and there's thou shalts. So it, 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 you know, it's, it's avoiding the negative patterns and cultivating new behaviors. Well, I just want to put it in context of like relationality and that there's a lot of things within spiritual practices or afterlifes or mediums or psychics that's very sexy to people right now. Right. Or tarot or crystals. Like people are really invested in external like luminosity in order to say like, if I just do that. And what I'm really curious about and what I've been really studying and thinking about is how do we have a relationship to the luminous and the human, the, the stuff that's happened in the human and not get maybe too caught up in either, but I'm just noticing extreme on either end. You know, we've got these talk therapists, one-on-one, not addressing the body, just talk therapy, you know, or not addressing the system, right? Systems theories, and they're just, and it's just perpetuating this one-to-one, which is making a lot of people in our community, I think, kind of be questioning right now, why have I been in therapy for 10 years and I still feel like shit? And then you've got the other side, which I know a lot of people right now are like, I'm just, you know, no responsibility for their actions or their activations, right. just living in the, in the luminosity of spirit, you know, everything is spirit, conversations with God always, I'm just going to have my own. So obviously like I'm a person of the middle path and the integrated path. And so I'm curious about kind of threading both. And it sounds like you're in a similar. Well, I, I, I did my, um, my psychotherapy training internship in San Francisco in the late seventies, which is very interesting. It was an interesting time. We had, you, you can get therapy there for five bucks an hour, you know, a session. And one day somebody came in in, in in a psychotic state and he was in touch with a prophet from Jupiter. And the next day we had a class where one of our co-students co did a meditation and we got in touch with our guide from Venus. I was going to say- So it was hard right. to know who it's was right. crazy yeah. and who was not. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But yeah. very early on, I found that when I worked with people who were also doing some kind of spiritual practice or body practice, somebody was training in massage therapy or also do, doing some, some kind of, of other healing modality, they made much more progress in their therapeutic work. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's not either or, but the yeah, extent right. that we can do, we, yeah. we, we can do both. Because what, what you're talking about is, is what they refer to sometimes as a spiritual bypassing, yeah. right? So, yeah. I mean, somebody, somebody else I worked with in that era had had some kind of mystical experience he had, he had been in AA and AA produces sort of a higher power experience for some people, mm -hmm. um, you know, having had a spiritual experience as a result of, of working these steps, right? Mm -hmm. So he came into therapy and he, you know, he, he was a recovering alcoholic and it was like, I'm going to heal all alcoholics. And I'm, you know, he was, he was t clearly the, in, in, in technical language, the ego was inflated with the energy of the self. Mm. in the Jungian sense mm -hmm. and I said that's all that that sounds very familiar to me it's sort of your describe experiences that I've that I've that I've read about people having having mystical experiences but how are you getting along with your roommates correct 
you yeah. know so that it was like that person needed to be grounded yeah. and need more right. grounding practices so i'll sometimes say to people what you what you need to do is walk for an hour around the block with your feet on the ground breathing green because that's grounding energy and other people i think you need to go out in the woods and cry your heart out to god yeah. So it, yeah, it, 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 it's like yeah. knowing how to read where, where, where yeah. people are. Um, One of my yoga teachers used to always say, A.G. Mohan, uh, he used to always say, please learn to stand on your feet before you stand on your head. <laughs> right. That's right. Right. Swami Satchananda said, people think yoga is standing on your head. It's learning how to stand on your feet. That's right. Yeah. You know, because of that groundedness, but the headstand is so much sexier for online or kind of popular. Okay, last question, because that's all I want to take of your time before Shabbat. Okay, I have to name the elephant in the room, which are the blind spots of all the white male teachers and leaders you've named and studied with. Do you feel like oh, there's yeah, voices yeah, 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 yeah. missing? And even, even the conversation seemed to, like, I guess my question is, okay, so there's these voices that are missing from a lot of this historical context and conversation. Right. Is there anything at your incredible wisdom and elderhood that you're like, oh, this is a blind spot we've had, or this part has been missing, or I'm curious to see how X will you know, explode the more we have women and teachers of color and therapists of color and spiritual teachers of color, like in more mainstream form or authors even. You know anything you've been thinking? You know, of? It, 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 this is uh, like a, uh, this, let, let me let, let me throw you this last question that needs at least an hour and a half to even begin to, to have a conversation. <laughs> Look, I, you know, I, I, on one hand, I am you know a white cisgender male, you know, so not a change blind spot. What are you talking about, right? <laughs> On the other hand, Rabbi, <laughs> they put that in the it raises the question about whether Jews are white or other. Oh yeah, you know, like that. That's yeah, a question that's, I'm having yeah. with 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 conditional with, Judaism is is what we call it. Yeah, right. Like, uh, sort of. Uh, you know, uh, in Israel, you know, what a wasp is it's a white Ashkenazi sabra with protectia. Uh, you know, um, but so I, I want to say in terms of psychotherapy, mm -hmm. there are other voices coming in. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, over the years, Gene Houston is my, was a teacher of mine. Starhawk was a teacher of mine. You know, there are, uh, you know, my, my, my wife, Rabbi Gila Reza Raphael, www.shechina. Just a few keystrokes you can get direct to the Shechina. Are you know are some of those voices yeah. that are, are really um, post-colonial in a certain kind of of of, of sense? Um, so I think that you know I think that's that that that's the good news. And I'm originally Canadian. Yeah. So I was schooled in multiculturalism very early mm -hmm. you know the difference between the american experience which was the the golden age of the melting pot the the immigration philosophy of the 20s 30s and 40s was we're all going to become great americans whereas in canada because of the french 
English situation, Canada really saw itself and does as a cultural mosaic. Mm -hmm. So, so as a young child, my parents would take me across town to see all of the Christmas decorations across Montreal. And I remember one Passover, we had the day off and we went to see some of the great churches of Montreal. And, uh, you know, and my mother would tell me she would go to Christmas Eve masses. So that, so that stuff was, was much more comfortable for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have trouble with, with the ALC, the ACLU not wanting um, not, not, ALC, American Civil Liberties Union, not wanting the crash in the, in, this, in the town square. Because why not? There's a crash in the town square and there's Jewish bakeries over here and there's Greek restaurants. You know, it, it was very much of, uh, of, uh, of, of a cultural mosaic. Um, even if that's true, there is still a kind of colonial white male bias that we're deconstructing well and that's what i mean i didn't mean to i don't mean to put you on the spot about sort of like race and our history and lineage and it's very confusing with judaism in terms of the time in history and where you live determines is it white or not in my experience i pass with a lot of white privilege um but i can travel around the world and sort of blend in in lots of different places and that's just this experience what i'm i think what i'm curious about is you know, when I read the hero's journey, I love frameworks, right? I love um, blueprints. I love pillars. I love development. I love like initiation. Oh, this is a pattern. I love patterns. That's why I love Ayurveda because it's all about patterns. And then it helps me make sense of the chaos that I experienced the first 20 years. And so patterns and frameworks are really helpful. So when I read the hero's journey, I really tried to put myself into that and, and align and be within that. Um, and I went to boarding school in high school. So in, in many ways, there's so many hero's journey stories where the kid goes to boarding school. So I kept trying to put, but it didn't even occur to me that the blind spot was still male patriarchal productivity, you know, outcome because I was so ingrained, so steeped in it. Then I found things like Kohenna and, or the, the heroine's journey, the female journey, you know, learning stories of going to the underground, learning the deeper, not just love and light up here that we had in, in sort of yoga and enlightenment, but like, what's it mean to go down and deep? And, and that's what I cannot wait as more of our experiences come and we start to reveal how um, asleep we've been to certain frameworks that like what may happen as more of us uh, are able to express different versions of the journey. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, I, I studied with Jean Houston for three, three and a half years. And, you know, her, her you know, she would often say, you know, we're living in this incredible time, a quickening of history and women's voices and, and, the collectivity of consciousness is clearly, clearly changing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, I want to say yes to all of that. And there's still a lot of work to do. But sometimes, I, sometimes I don't struggle on the other side of the paradigm. You know, I just, I just want to be. You know, I, I just want. Yeah. I want to, I want to create it. But, but it's true. I mean, I look. I, I'm. I, I, I pass for white in America. You know, actually, as a Canadian on a green card, I have no more rights in this country than uh, than Ahmad, the Pakistani taxi driver in New York. And and I'm not inherently political because if I went to a political demonstration and I got arrested, 
I could get deported. That I mean, that's true. I mean, you know, I tried a barbecue on the 4th of July and I couldn't, so I flunked my American citizenship. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I, I've been in this country for 30 years as an outsider. Yeah, so that's yeah. you know but you pass uh, as a just to be clear i can pass as white privilege very easily that's right no no that's that right that's right that's right that's right i just want to clarify to clarify yeah, so yeah, yeah, no, no, very clearly. but it but it, it's interesting it creates a certain it creates both an awareness and a certain um conflict a certain yeah, integrity yeah i understand that yeah I think, yeah, I, I understand that at, at a really deep level because of, again, that sort of trauma piece that nobody can see on the outside, especially right. because I've been such a good student and I right. studied and I've done all the things to pretend that none of that really, you know, has affected, but underneath those layers of different, of, of feeling separate are there. So it's, it's something to continue to work through. Um, where can people, what is the first thing that you want people to read? What's the intro book or what's the video? Or is there anything that you're like, okay. Well, www.institute, D-A-A-T institute. I'll link to it too, yeah. Is my website. Dot is an death awareness advocacy and training. It's also a Hebrew word for knowledge. And if people are like big readers, they can read Jewish views of the afterlife, but there's a lot of articles. There's YouTubes on there. It's I'm, I'm creating a a resource base there. I've created that. So um, follow your dreams and write in your journal. And uh, I think that's it for today. Follow okay. your dreams and write in your journal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. So you'll say,